A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline Podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series, The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the 4th be with you all, all month and beyond. of Horror, the podcast that revisits classic horror blockbusters and pulp fiction. Today, we revisit the Spielberg classic, E.T., The Extraterrestrial. This film has everything children want when going to the movies. Kids saying bad swears, drunk aliens, and terrifying sequences that bring up questions of their own mortality. <laughs> Joining me to talk about this film is Dr. Anthony Ladon. Steve? I've been thinking about this movie all day. Yeah? It just freaked me out, man. This, the movie is a weird movie. It's a weird-ass movie. Are you more freaked out now than you were? Well, funny story about this. At four years old, my wife was scared to death of E.T. It was like This was like her poltergeist or her Jaws or her Exorcist or whatever. Huh. She was always deathly afraid of E.T. And we kind of kind of became a joke around the house. But man, I watched it last night, and I totally get it. I totally get it. It is a freaky movie. And to a four-year-old, <laughs> to a four-year-old, I could see nightmares. What was your experience? I'm curious. Were, number one, were you high when you watched Last it? night? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying you were high when you watched it. It was high when i watched it it's the first time i've ever been high watching et if that that so that's new tell me about your experience here so i you know i, I watched et a lot okay growing up right at least i think so um i was like what movie am i watching <laughs> because i do not remember any of the beginning <laughs> like none of it it was all flashlights. See, the first five minutes is just flashlights and khakis. Yeah, and keys. And there's like, there's a whole sequence of, of there's just ETs just going around and picking plants. Hey, let's let's not sugarcoat this. They were stealing our redwoods. They were. They were. They were. They came down. They were. And they were stealing our redwoods. They were sampling so that they could come. It, it, this is this is a hostile takeover in the, in the making. So I don't remember any of that, right? Like, if you had if you had asked me before we you know we did the rewatch, I said, well, so why was ET here? I'd be like, ah, oh, hmm, I don't know. And like, I don't remember 
don't he was boosting him. the trees. That's why he I was here. I don't remember him wandering around, and and it's like, oh, okay. So that's that was long. Like I always thought that was really short. Like I here's what I remember the most of. I remember, I remember him in the shed, and I remember him uh, in the plastic. Mm-hmm. And, and like, so it was like the gimp scene from Pulp Fiction in your mind. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So, uh, so, yeah. so the, it's funny because like I, I mean, there's so many things came back to me, but it was weird that first part was not coming back to me. So add the add the element of me being high, and I'm like, whoa, dude, is this all added? Is this all? Because I know that he, that that Spielberg did a um uh, like like a, a, a re-edit or remastering, and he and he took out the. He, he replaced all the guns with walkie-talkies, and yeah, um, and I saw the one with guns. By the way, I don't know. Which yeah, I watched the one with the guns last. Yeah, that's the, so. Then, they, but then they he reverted, right? So like the 20th anniversary, he made all these changes, and he took out the line dressed like a terrorist, changed it to hippie, and huh. then and then I think the 30th the, when they re- released it, they just so he says, "Never mind, I shouldn't have done that." I guess it was CGI. Uh, et and the corn hmm. and so like he was cartoonish and they changed his mouth to match the words more and so so it looks like he dolled up the the 82 version i think that's what we watched last night it was so that's where i was confused so i'm like well wait a minute is this the the new one where everything's going to be different and am i how it's that going to do for me and then and then i just settled back in but yeah et's um is this a kid's movie well that's one of our questions who's this movie for and I think it's meant to be for kids. I mean, I can't imagine it's so syrupy. Sure. I mean, it's like like there's syrup all over this thing, and I just can't imagine it was made for adults. But I guess it was very well received by adults as well uh, at the time. But I, yeah, I would say this is maybe this is a uh, I would say between the ages of nine and thirteen. What do you think? Yeah, well, and I wonder if that was the intent, or if it just sort of started to become that, right? Because like, if you just if you were to lay it out on paper and just you know not go through the all the details with the children necessarily, say, look, aliens come down, they're harvesting whatever, one of them gets left behind, um, trying to get back home, but can't adjust to the atmosphere, and and eventually is gonna die. I mean, it, it's it's not super fun well sure but they get to fly their bicycles fly i mean that's uh, it's that's fun right that's true yeah i mean the bicycle flying is certainly fun i mean the fact that there's kids involved i guess that that's that's fun but there's a lot of death right i mean that's like a really it's a big theme it's a it's a very yeah i guess the intention with the film was to tackle the theme of sort of the loss of a parent um, I read it a little bit differently than that, but I mean that was his intent. His intent was to kind of talk about this is a movie about divorce, really. Mm-hmm. The way that I read it was: here's a kid with either just a distant father or an emotionally distant father, and then here's an alien who's distant from his people, but has these extreme empathetic powers. Sort of a wish fulfillment for the kid, like here, finally someone who can connect with me on the emotional level. Right, and they connect. I mean, they they connect uh, 
physically yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. psychically physically the whole thing so i mean it, it's uh which is an interesting thing right like i mean i remember looking back you know and as a kid i knew it only because it was happening but i didn't really i don't feel like it really explains a lot of that no i guess in that way give the movie credit for not like sort of hitting you over the head with it right right i mean there's that scene at the beginning where he says you know dad would believe me and she said well why don't you call your father he says i can't right. call my father cuz he's in mexico with sally and then we learn that the father's racist because he does he hates mexico he hates mexico right. yeah so, <laughs> so yeah so he can't call his father and et can't phone home and that and you know they have this i i am assuming et's father is also racist right exactly that's that's and that's part of the reason why he left him it's because E.T. was woke and he just didn't want to deal with that. He's like, Dad, I'm going to go pick trees. Yeah, he's like, no, I need you to harvest mushrooms. And he's like, no, trees. <laughs> um, it's it's an interesting watch. It was an inter- like it was a lot of, uh, it's very effective. I think Spielberg does an amazing job. Sometimes I want to, and I don't know why, but I mean, sometimes I want to just sort of discount Spielberg. Maybe because I, I like, we've been, he was such a given. Um, as far as like the blockbuster guy, and yeah, by uh, the time we came around, he was as Hollywood as you could get, right? Right, right. So anything he would touch would 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 make you know billions of dollars, and and you know I was like, well, is he a good director? Is he does he get good scripts? What you know is is he playing with the feels? And he certainly does do a good job of playing with the feels, right? I mean. Well, I, I almost think that this movie's too much. It's almost too much. And that's why I say it's maybe for more of like the nine to thirteen year old range because it's it's almost over the top with the feel. This movie is all feels. In fact, I was thinking about a synopsis for this movie and the one that I landed with was it's Star Wars without the stars or the wars. Hmm. And it's all about emotionality. It's all about the, the connection. The alien, you know, the alien's nice. The alien's a gardener. I mean, what what could be more nice than that? And the fact that Spielberg wants to take all the guns out of the movie is kind of telling as well, right? Right, but then he puts them back in because he's like, what am I doing? Yeah. But see, that's the thing, right? So he didn't. I mean, initially there has gone. I mean, there, there's a threat, right? And it's like there's the feels, but there's a, such an interesting heavy element. It's like, it's like this movie is going to introduce children in 1982 to the notion that they are going to die. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. that's not super sweet. And they're probably going to die alone because <laughs> right. it's I like mean, you've there's... got this big connection, you got this sort of psychic connection with a loved one that, you know, it's gonna, it's gonna go away. That person yeah. is going at the, at away. The end, what, what is ET's big, big, his big gift at the end is like, hey, you'll remember me. And then he's out. He's out. It's like, well, yeah, I'm going to remember the, the, like, the ugly old baby that lived with me for a couple of days. That could heal me. Like, I mean, talk about loss. <laughs> I mean, Elliot, Elliot is, leads the worst life of any child in 1982. You think living the best life. But he's like, okay, so my dad hopped off to Mexico with Sally, leaving me to be basically this latchkey kid. Oh, but good news, I found an alien that not only I could connect with physically and psychically, but, like, he can heal my pain. 
he's healed my pain when I was alone. So he's healed my emotional pain, but he's also can heal my physical pain and I can fly and he's leaving me too. Yeah. I guess. Kid should have got on that ship. I mean, that's true. That's true. He could have, could have got on the ship. Yeah. What was, what was waiting for him at home? I mean, there was, a, it did work for me. That, that last scene did work for me because it was like, here's this magical creature that can heal your, your hurts, right? Heal your owies. Mm-hmm. And yet, it's almost because of that, because you've got such a connection with this, this perfect being, that being separated from the being will will create an owie that's not going away. Right. So the yeah, kid, the kid is just left. Awful. The kid is just abandoned the second time. Yeah. Yeah. In a way that would like, in in a, the universe found a new and creative way to break his heart. This is the most depressing, saddest, most sadistic film in uh, Spielberg's library. <laughs> and this is a guy that did Schindler's List. Right. Yeah, this Schindler's guy did List. Amistad for Christ. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God damn. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, is this movie better than a Ron Howard film? Hmm. You want to, you want me to go first? Yeah, I'm vexed. I think it's properly Howard. Wow. I think that's it's a, I think it's bold equal statement, bro. <laughs> I think it's equal to a Ron Howard film. Wow. I don't so think it's is, worse. I don't think a, it's better. This is space space backdraft. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, I put I would put backdraft sort of on the lower end of the spectrum. <laughs> But I think that this kind of hits all the sort of the emotional beats that a lot of Ron Howard films will. I mean, it's for popular consumption. It's going to feel good at the end. Although, like you said, does it really feel good at the end? (laughs) Not for Elliot. (laughs) For everyone else. For everyone but Elliot. It feels great. And just, you know. Because we don't care about Elliot. (laughs) No, we don't. I never did, apparently. Never did. Because we are being entertained by his grief. <laughs> yeah, his grief is really what just keeps us going the whole time. <laughs> yeah, no, it's... Uh, did you know, and I read this... Uh, wait, 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 I need, I need your verdict. Oh, I'm with you. I think it is properly You think it's properly happened. Right. And that, and I was really struggling with it, and I needed someone to say it <laughs> on my behalf. Okay. Um, I... And it's not. I don't think. I don't think it's a bad movie. I think it's a very good movie. No, properly Howard is a good movie, not a yeah. great movie. Yeah, I think. I think it's good. I think it's. Uh, I think it. It. It does everything it's set out to do. I think it's probably more visually interesting than a Howard, right? So, like, if you was going to give it maybe a Howard plus one, maybe just because I think, I think it. It, it is an effective puppet movie. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know if that helps. Um, did you were you moved at all by any of the of, of the feels? I was, yeah, I, I, a few times I was, and it was sort of surprising. And I was thinking, you know, that's it, it works, it worked. Uh, you and know, that, and so, yeah, and I think that was that was a big takeaway for me is that that it's that it worked now, right? Like, and here I am, uh, a much more cynical version of of the 1982 me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, ah, oh, that's, that's... Although you were something of a prodigy in terms of cynicism. Oh, yeah. Well, yes, I was, I was 
I think, you know, they go through different like gifted children books. And mine was, I was just very gifted with uh, sarcasm and ennui. <laughs> so, it, so it holds up. I, I think we're yeah, both I, saying it holds up. Yeah. And yet, maybe the same issue with Jaws. It's like the special effects. Is it really going to hold up? Right. Um, but... but didn't it- and then I think that speaks to Spielberg's directorial skill set, right? That you can forgive a certain amount of things that don't hold up because, like, while it takes you out of it for a mm-hmm. sec, you're invested enough in what's going on and how it's being presented that you, you sort of forgive it. So I, I definitely had a different experience this time. I feel like like it was just it, it was just a bizarre experience, and I thought... I totally get why my wife. I I had the experience now what my four year old wife had yeah. in nineteen eighty two. What's rough, man? I mean, like we're just. I mean, ET's just like, but he's in the lake. Good lord, that's a nightmare. <laughs> What's your history with the film? Oh, I was a monster fan. I was huge. I had I had a little wind up ET. I had the light up ET finger. I had an ET plush, all uh, ET shirts. I like multiple shirts, you know, because they were maybe that little like kind of plastic crackly stuff that would just couldn't handle and wash or two. Um, Did you have the action figure where the neck went up? Yeah, oh for sure, that was a yeah. huge deal. I, I, I could even I I have a sense memory right now of how it smelled. It was a different smelling plastic than other uh, action figures. I think, man, you just triggered something there for me. Wow. Um. Yeah, I think you're right. Why did that smell that way? I don't know. Is it because of the way it was? Because maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe is it the type of plastic, or is it because there was there were less hinges and things than you would find in other action figures? Uh, I don't know. It just it had a definite, it's a unique smell. Huh. I remember maybe even before I saw the film. Sitting in my parents' family room, listening to "Turn On Your Heart Light," <laughs> by was that a you mean Neil Diamond? Neil Diamond? Was it Neil Diamond? It is Neil Diamond. Uh, but that was sort of the era of if there was a, a really popular movie, someone like Neil Diamond was going to come along and write a song about the movie experience. Because yeah. I don't think that he was like commissioned for the movie. No, no, I don't think so. Although I. I wouldn't put it past him to try to get near Drew Barrymore. <laughs> oh, hey, by the way, I don't know if you noticed the the little girl that Elliot kisses. Oh, yeah. Under siege. She was the under siege. I was like looking. I was like, I know this person from somewhere. And I looked her up and then I was I immediately re- regretted it. Like, oh, I don't want to know that. Not and it, Elliot could get it. <laughs> well, he had to stand on top of a portly fellow to do it, but <laughs> well, man, he was just it was resourceful, man. <laughs> All right, let's talk about the ET drunk scene, shall we? Oh yeah, what a what a great idea! I mean, he doesn't just like accidentally like he he's does pounding cores. He's there's a scene. He, I mean, he de- he definitely chugs the first one, right? It could just be he's thirsty, but then he kind of passes out. It you know pans over to Elliot, who's at school. And then he goes back to the kitchen, and he's going for more. So he really wants to strap it on. And he has to know he's psychically connected to Elliot, right? Right. 
Well, yeah, we assume so. I mean, I don't know. There's so much about E.T. that we assume is, is great. <laughs> like, we just assume because he's like, he's like, oh, well, he seems sweet. And he goes, Wah. I'm like, how, how bad could he be? And you're like, you don't know if this thing is just like, he was all about deforestation. Dude, <laughs> given a chance, we'll get hammer drunk on like a Tuesday morning. Good <laughs> Lord. Uh, sweet tooth up the wazoo. And... You know, look, he likes to get down. He likes to get freaky. Dresses up like a woman on occasion. Now, I mean, are we certain that this is that E.T. has a gender? Because I think that Spielberg, when they interviewed him, he, he said that E.T. was more plant-like than anything else. Mm. I wasn't I wasn't feeling that at all. But Elliot goes out of his way to say that he's a, he's a, a boy. And I was like, I don't know how he knows that so confidently. Yeah, I don't know. I don't want to know. Yeah, there's a deleted scene. I don't that just needs to stay deleted. Um, like I don't know, like because he just sort of like his bottom part just sort of like melts over his feet. But at some point, he may like have to pull those up to do something. Well, like that this. and that was that was absolutely true. And you know, when Gertie says, "I don't like his feet," I was yeah. with her on that. I don't oh, like yeah. his feet either. No, that like was that was all. definitely yeah. <laughs> it was a preach it sister moment in the house for sure when that happened. Um, but yeah, he has to go to the bathroom at some point. And at that point, I think there's a revelation that's of some sort. And man, and that guy, when he's out there just like looking around and, and, you know, you never see him like a, like torso up and he sees those Reese's pieces. He just picks one up and eats it. You don't know if that's, you don't know that that's not alien scat. <laughs> Bro. Uh, let's talk about these Reese's pieces. All right. So these aliens are able to conquer the miracle of interstellar travel. Mm-hmm. In one of the least aerodynamic vessels I've seen. Yeah. It looks like the constructional equivalent of like a ping pong ball. That's what they're okay. flying around just in. Looks like a plop. And uh and then they be, can be beguiled by peanut butter candies. Right. I mean that I guess that speaks to how good chocolate and peanut butter are. There's no chocolate in Reese's pieces. Just peanut butter and candy shell. Oh, I thought it had a chocolate shell. No, no, no. just a candy shell. I mean, well, you would know. You're the expert on. So M and M, so M and M's, you know, turns down this deal for whatever reason to be in the movie, and uh, and then of course uh, Reese's jumps all over because I mean, look, M and M's doesn't need ET. Never did. Probably still doesn't. But what a difference it makes for Reese's Pieces, right? I mean, Reese's Pieces probably just aren't even... I mean, this movie's biggest contribution to society might be... I did at least a 10-minute search for this phrase, Sintus Supremus. Right. Did you look? Did you try to I look did it not, up? I, I did not look it up, but I'm glad you mentioned it because it, it's, it's quite a back and forth, quite a volley. I mean, zero charisma... That makes sense. I I don't understand sure. why why that's the thing. Like at that age, charisma is like a big deal. Zero. Could you imagine? Like you're at that age, you're like we're at the age where we don't we we obviously our bodies are still maturing physically. But I like to think that we're advanced in in, in being charismatic. And like, one guy comes in, and he just cuts you right off at the knees. So one of these <laughs> one of these kids. His main insult, you know, his doozy of an insult is zero charisma. <laughs> and, you know, that's actually quite a sophisticated. <laughs> if someone said I had zero charisma, that would that would ruin me for a month. 
Like, because I'm like, I, I mean, I'm not the most charming, but I'm all right. Zero. Come on, I got some charisma. And then the reply is in Latin. I'm guessing, <laughs> which in and of itself shows a little charisma. Sintus <laughs> supremus. Now, I looked it up. It's not a Latin phrase, but I think it could be a miss pronunciation of the word for ashes so it means you'd be calling big ashes that that could be another someone 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 else suggested that it was supposed to be sinus supremus meaning big nose so Mm. so if so if you had to be called either big ashes or big nose (laughs) what would you what would hurt you the most imagine that i mean i just i mean if you have a big nose then that seems that seems good that seems like a good insult i don't think either of these characters has a big nose no no and none of them are ashes i mean like big ashes <laughs> it's just crazy i mean is it is it a play on the death theme like ashes to ashes or something yeah i i it's it feels like it was an odd choice it feels like that was the day that the assistant director was in charge and just let it roll. It was all of a sudden we've got like a, a you know, you're going to replace guns with walkie talkies, but you're not going to replace that with a decent insult. I mean, at least in dead poet society, he translated the Latin for them. Well, and it's interesting that these are the insults that they go with because the first insult we hear is when Elliot uh, drops the penis breath insult um, at the, uh, at the table, which is, which is which was really big. That was another one that I'm like interesting that that didn't stick as much as Reese's pieces have in our culture. <laughs> Peanuts breath. I I did like the mom's response. Uh, that the actress is named D Wallace. D Wallace. And I like that she laughed and at the same time, you know, kind of scolded him. Right. Because it's exactly the kind of something as a parent, like you just can't help yourself but laugh at it. It's some interesting dynamics, right? I mean, the kids are smoking. Well, they're they're big ashes. These kids. <laughs> is that what it is? Is that, is that where the big ashes come from? I don't know. I'm guessing. <laughs> That's the insult. You don't know when to flick your ash in time. You're such an unsophisticated smoker. You're a philistine of a smoker. <laughs> Might as well call you big ashes. It's like why not pull out penis breath again? Why go with zero charisma? Which is worse? In '82. <laughs> 82 for sure is penis breath. So that's our one to grow on half the battle moment right there. If you got an insult as bad as penis breath, maybe your next insult should be just be in Latin. (laughs) So when they're, I mean, is this the most inept group of government agents? Oh, they gotta be. Get a copter, bro. (laughs) They absolutely have to be. You mean to tell me you... So we didn't pick this up on any of our radar, right? I mean, none of our satellites picked up this thing that just the slowest moving, like the descent, the the door comes down. I mean, if Peter Coyote doesn't hitch a ride with D. Wallace Interstation Wagon, then zero scientists <laughs> see this spaceship. I think How that- <laughs> in the world did they lose them on bikes? I knew they flew, but you know what else can fly? Helicopters. And you might want to bring... A helicopter. Look, you, you look like a fool if you don't bring a helicopter to a flying bike fight. <laughs> I think that the reason why they had such trouble finding the kids is the entire film is filmed, I think, in the Bermuda Triangle. 
I did not know where this was supposed to be. At times it looks like L.A. At times there's a cornfield. Right. There are redwoods in a desert. Yeah, that's my. this is my wife's. Where is this? She kept asking, like, where is this? Because this doesn't seem to all go together. I'm like, well, now I'm wondering, like, maybe if this was never Earth. No, no, it's not. It's somewhere out of time where there's no such thing as helicopters. This is where the aliens live. The aliens actually have created this vivarium of sorts. <laughs> and they go and they have everything sort of it's like an ant farm. And then they the people and it's like, these are, dude, I leave kids like this all the time. Uh, if there was one tweak you could make to this movie. Helicopters. <laughs> Give Just, me one helicopter. Because the whole time I'm like, well, what happened? Give me the kid it? flying across the moon and getting taken down by the tomahawk. Bring in, bring in the the Cretans Clearwater scene from every <laughs> Vietnam movie there is. Exactly. Yeah. Um, one of the moments I think that really brought me back, like sort of like the smell of the the ET action figure, was the action figure scene where he's yeah. going through and he's going through all the Star Wars figures. Mm-hmm. It was such like I remember even in '82 being like, "Whoa, that's a different movie." Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, but it but. At the same time, it was super effective because those are toys I had right then. Well, I watched the uh, watched the, the, the sort of the extra features on this movie, and I guess that was all improv. He, those are just toys that he, that that kid had. Oh wow, Henry Thomas. Those were his actual toys, which it did feel authentic. Right, and that was that was to me one of the the more appealing scenes because it did sort of ground it into. A child's reality if you're watching it because everything you know it's one thing to have the product placement but to have like those are the things that you have like with you and those were remarkable and then you find out later that you know they share the same universe because et does show up in uh, the prequels of uh in the star wars prequels i forgot about that let's talk about the the uh Which explains the... why he recognized as yoda yeah yeah of course yeah yeah let's talk about the star wars cross-pollination here so first off I feel like John Williams just kind of didn't get out of bed that day. Wow. I mean, he, he maybe tweaked a, a little bit of the Star Wars, but this is Star Wars. So much. So much of the bad guy scenes are cribbed right from Star Wars. Mm. So much of the, the early shed scenes are Star Wars. Eventually, you get to the E.T. theme. But that's why I'm saying. This is Star Wars without the stars and the wars. Mm. So John Williams, of course, is the overlap here, right? You've got the the Star Wars figures. You've got the Yoda walking down the road. And then, of course, as you mentioned, you had the E.T. show up in the prequel sort of thing. It's probably a sort of a nod back, right? Right. Uh, were there any other Star Oh, yeah, Harrison Ford's attached to this movie. Right. We, doesn't, we don't see him. He's in a deleted scene, right? So... I don't know if you've ever seen that scene. I haven't seen the scene, but I did read up on that, right? So he uh, and and they opted not to even add him in the later incarnations, just because uh, he just felt it becomes like a whole other, a whole different movie. Interesting. I read about the uh, proposed sequel that uh, Spielberg opted not to go with. Uh, oh no, this sounds yeah. really bad. Uh, Et two, Nocturnal Fears. <laughs> Nocturnal Fears. Yeah. What? So the the kids are missing E.T., of course, because he's gone. And um, I don't know exactly how this happens, but they end up uh, 
coming across other aliens that are evil. Oh no! And they end up getting uh, uh, kidnapped by these aliens, and so then they're trying to communicate to ET to return to save them. Huh? And he's like, ah, I think it might be a little dark for what we're trying to. Well, I'm glad they didn't do it. Yeah, he, but it's interesting because Spielberg's take was like, well, like sort of, sort of just not what we were, we were going for, and that's what I made me wonder. I'm like, well, maybe, maybe they had a different movie in mind when they first set out to make it, and then as it started to kind of create, be created and take a life of its own, it became more, more uh, kid centric, and mm. it became more, more fun. And when the original thought was like, if you looked at it as like maybe he saw it as that would have been a logical a follow up to the movie that was originally intended to be made that that just that's why i took away that maybe maybe there was a different intent Mm -hmm. was there a one trope cliche device that worked for you i i actually think that the uh single mom lack of father thing i I found that to i think that worked i think it helped um it was kind of crucial to the to the story crucial to the story but also um you know, it, it again, and one of those things that I don't think it was overdone. I think there was definitely some enough spring. I mean, it, it was clearly a thing. I mean, it was clearly the, the mom was upset and the kids had issues with it and everything. But I think that I think it was played pretty well, where like, especially because like the Gertie doesn't really get too involved in that. And it makes sense because she's kind of too young. Hmm. Um, and so I think that they did a really good job with that family dynamic of things just sort of seeming to be authentic in that regard and and they're all just kind of getting they're just kind of getting through like the, the mom just kind of muddling through and so there was a little bit of dysfunction but a lot of it was just because this is all new to her um so there was a lot of that that didn't have to be oh it didn't have to be explained it just you were seeing it manifest itself through a lot of things because mm-hmm. they could, and it was necessary in a lot of ways that the kids could be home alone the kids could be sort of like why are they why are they alone so often? Why are they, uh, you know, left to their own devices? Obviously, eighty-two is a different time, but also when a mom is working full time and just sort of frazzled. Oh I yeah, she just turns on Sesame Street. She's gonna go to work. Yeah. She's gonna go pick up her other kid at school. A lot of moms relied on the television. I mean, it kind of explains us, right? Sure. Uh, we were raised by the television. You know, for me, I was thinking like the Good Alien. Like, there's. It, there's two different kinds of alien movies. There's the bad alien and the good alien mm-hmm. or the friendly alien. But then I was thinking, is that really a trope in 1982? Were there any good alien movies back then? Right. That's an interesting point. Cause I thought about that too. Just the idea that here comes, there's no takeover. There's no invasion. It's about the same time that Starman is being made with Jeff Bridges. Right. So that's a good alien movie, but I think before that, there's a lot of War of the Worlds kind of stuff going around. Right. And I, I, I'm wondering if, if there was a good alien movie. Um, Probably not a blockbuster. Close Encounters wasn't a bad alien, though, right? It was just a bad alien movie. Just, <laughs> just, just a bad alien movie. <laughs> Emphasis on the bad movie. I forgot to mention, the, and then the final... Star Wars crossover is that Pat Welsh did the voice of E.T. Pat Welsh also did the voice of Boosh in Star Wars. Oh wow. Do you remember do you remember Boosh? I, I don't. I do. <laughs> now isn't you you correct me if I'm wrong. Isn't Boosh 
the costume of Princess Leia in Return of the Jedi? Or is that someone else? The costume of... When Princess Leia goes into Jabba's palace, isn't she dressed up like Boosh? Oh, it's different. It's okay. different. Yeah. So Pat Welsh, I, and I don't think she's she did much else. She did <laughs> E.T. and she did Boosh, and I don't even think she was credited for Boosh. So anyway... Unfortunately, Pat Well, she was she was sort of integral to our childhood and we never knew. She never got her due. I guess not. I've broken this movie up into four acts, Steve. So try these on for size. Act one, humanizing the alien. Act two, bonding with the alien. Act three, the home phone or phone home project. And act four Race to save the alien. Mm-hmm. Wasn't really sure what to do with this last one. The last one is sort of really made up to be a race. I don't know if what they're. Yeah, this is, your, this is where you get your chasing and. Uh, yeah, it's a, the, um, the iconic image of the the bike flying over the moon. Well, and it's so the thing is, is this is it's a pretty important act. Because going back to the whole abandonment thing, right? And Elliot, in an effort to show his true affection for this creature, does essentially the unthinkable, right? And removes him from his life. In in order to give this creature, to basically heal this creature, he has to set it free, you know, and, and does what he can to facilitate that. So that becomes, it's a, it's a pretty... It's a pretty important sequence. Um, How does he remove him from his life? How does that happen? Well, I mean, if he doesn't, he's he's doing everything he can to help him to get him to his uh, spaceship. Oh, that's right. He that's has to right. get him home. In order to save him, he has that's to right. release him, right? I mean, that's that's right. So that's a big that's a big moment, right? I mean, he knows that he can't live like this, you know. And then he decides to stay. I mean, Elliot staying is actually a, it's. It's a, it seems like a pretty big deal. I wonder if this movie works at all if this alien, it doesn't seem like he has brain damage. <laughs> like, you implicitly don't fear the alien. You do not fear the alien because the alien doesn't seem to have any control over himself. The alien has no idea. The alien's so innocent. He's doe-eyed. He he's like a baby, like you said. He's like a a, a mouse shaped baby. And I think that if if this alien actually seems intelligent at all, I think that you're you, you freak out. I think that you're you're afraid of the alien. Yeah, it's interesting, right? Because he's advanced, but eh. he's not. He's, I mean, I think at, at one point the, the older brother says, "Yeah, but he could have just been like pushing buttons. It's not like he right. designed the spaceship. They they brought him in as sort of grunt labor to pick the." vegetation samples <laughs> yeah he's not even really a part of this this expedition he's like a day laborer that they picked so up. if you think that this alien is any smarter than he is isn't he freaky i mean isn't he he's already scared a little bit scary but the fact that he's so childlike yeah because he feels he's advanced in the way that he can heal mm-hmm. he's advanced in the way that he can make things fly he's advanced in the way that he can get drunk really quick and then kind of sober up kind of quick 
And... But he's not so advanced that he knows to shut the refrigerator door. Right. There's a, there's a lot of other things that he does that clearly... In fact, there, I don't know if anyone in this entire house knows how to shut that refrigerator door. I'm pretty what? sure it's open the entire movie. <laughs> Different time, man. I mean, PG&E bills are lower. <laughs> well, let me tell you my history with this movie. So I learned from this movie that you could take a thermometer and put it on a light bulb. Big. That's a big lesson. And and you could you could fool your your parents into thinking that you would have a fever. And I tried this, Steve. Too and hot. Let me tell you. Too hot. Way too hot. Way too hot. You're dead. And my mom said, if you had a fever this high, you'd be dead. And I tried to stay in character, and I said, "Does that mean I'm gonna die?" Oh my gosh, that's amazing. <laughs> I had to go to school that day. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I would think so. That's an amazing, amazing response. Yeah, I mean, like the the kids are interesting. The whole thing is 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 a trip with, like I said, with with the smoking idea, and and that threw me off. Like, because I mean, I'm a kid at that age, right? I mean, I'm and I'm like, is is this what people are doing? And wherever these people live, did you ever try on the 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 term? Uh, Cinto Supremos at school? Never, never. That one never came to mind. I mean, I was way more interested in penis breath. I mean, again, I just, <laughs> I know, I knew what it meant. I mean, I didn't necessarily know maybe like all of the, the, the subtext that went along with it, but like what the implications were. But. I will be honest. Until last night, I thought his name was Tom Howell. Not Tommy Howell. So this actor's name is C. Thomas C. Thomas, C. Thomas Howell. Howell. Yeah, and I always I never knew there was an L sound at the end of that. Oh, you thought it was I was like Tommy Howe. He's the guy in the Outsiders. He's he's in Tank. That's Tommy Howe. <laughs> C. Thomas Howe, man, uh, uh, blackface extraordinaire. Oh, is that what is that what got him? Soul Man, dude. He was in the movie oh, Soul Man. Oh, he was Soul Man. I forgot about Soul Man. Yeah, most people try. <laughs> now, when he was he in Tank with James Gardner? James Gardner, yeah, he was also in uh, I think it's Side Out with uh, the guy from Thirty Something. It's a, a volleyball beach volleyball movie. Oh yeah, sure. Uh, Back when you could do a, a beach volleyball movie. Yeah, well, you could certainly try. <laughs> Yeah, see, Thomas Howell was uh, a rich man's Patrick Dempsey, or at least he looked up. Well, famously, he's Pony Boy. In Pony Outsiders. Boy. Yeah. Uh, which is another doozy. I don't know if you've seen that recently. I haven't. I did watch Meatballs right before I watched E.T. Oh, really? Yeah. I don't know if you've, I don't know if you've had a chance to revisit Meatballs. No, I have not. Uh, that's, a, that, that's a differently constructed film altogether. <laughs> <laughs> so it's fascinating because Meatballs is PG. Um, is it really? Yeah, you wouldn't know it by the cover. Like the cover looks like it's sort of this like going to be this sort of sex romp. At a, at yeah, a camp. like a raunchy Porky's yeah. Revenge of the Nerds. No, it's it's just Bill Murray uh, befriends a, um, a kind of awkward camp kid. But the camp is like anywhere from like six year olds all the way to like. 
15-year-old. But See, this is a really bad premise. This is not going anywhere. Anywhere I want to Spends go. a lot of time with the counselors in training. Who are, That's where it gets maybe a little bit rompy, but not totally rompy. And then, of course, there's a, the rich kid camp that always beats them during the inter-camp Olympics. Huh. Yeah, and then they have Meatballs 2. Now that you say this, I don't think I've ever seen this movie. There's Meatballs 2, which I've never seen. I haven't seen any any post-Meat... I haven't haven't not seen the quadrilogy in its its entirety. I know that 2 is also PG, but then 3 is when it does become uh, a rated R sex romp. Um, And I I read the... the, uh, Speaking of Patrick Dempsey, he's in it. I read the the liner notes on this thing, and it's uh, a, a porn star dies on a job and in order to get to heaven she has to help a nerdy kid at this camp um win the ladies <laughs> and i'm telling you, you that's genius me? like i'm like wow how you gotta wait till three before you hit that kind of I mean, that's that's a that's a pretty pretty amazing you think premise. if you were an executive you'd be thinking you know that needs its own franchise we're not we're gonna make that meatballs three that premise needs its own ip it feels like these guys were sitting down they're like i was always bummed out man i thought meatballs was gonna be another porkies but no it's just some sort of camp you know what it should have been it should have been about a a porn star (laughs) dies dies. on the job no (laughs) and then they're like oh no hey we can redeem meatballs (laughs) And then there's Meatballs Four. I don't know the plot of that one, um, but I know that Corey Feldman is is in it. So we're covering E.T. and the Meatballs franchise today. That's right. And the <laughs> thing is, so I watched Meatballs with my daughter and uh, my wife, and my daughter is just you know, she's 21. You know, she's 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 with it. She's like what? the whole movie. She's like, why why is it called Meatballs? There's never a moment. Like you're never gonna find out. And so like the, the running gag for me is like, oh well, you know, at some Are there point, any like stereotypically Italian men in this movie? No. No. There's there's they're like I'm thinking, well maybe that'll be the big thing at the the Olympics, right? Like, you know, they can't win in the in the three legged race, but oh we're doing a meatball eating contest or something. I don't know. At one point a guy gets hit in the face and like he's got a bloody nose. I'm like oh that's not blood that's that's uh that's marinara what a meatball <laughs> so it's it's called meatballs and there's no reason for it that's my knowledge there must be a whole deleted scene about meatballs should we cut the scene it's not working that's right. it's it's the only scene with a meatball in it I've made the poster yeah but the poster has bill murray surrounded by a bunch of women who want to get with him nothing is like that is happening in this movie <laughs> I'm sorry, what movie are we working on? How many of these uh, films was Bill Murray attached to? Just the one. Just the one. Yeah. All right. Uh, would you recast anyone in this movie, Steve? Well, considering that I didn't realize that C. Thomas Howell was even the character from the first sequence, I went with, I'm like, <laughs> I didn't notice him until the bus scene. Uh huh. I thought he was recast <laughs> in the movie. <laughs> You're like, oh, they brought in C. Thomas Howell. It was like they what they shoot the first scene and then all they were able to like, oh good, hey, C. Thomas Howell's available. It's like, well, we'll have him play the other kid. Well, we already have a kid playing that kid. Now he gone. Okay, let me ask you this. If it let's say you If I I wouldn't do- know if I would recast anybody, but I'm you might I don't think E.T. is as cute as 
we give him credit for. E.T. is pretty ugly. <laughs> He's horrific. If you could recast E.T. with, let's say, I don't know, Greedo from Star Wars, what would that do? Yeah, I think less human face, or like, you know what I mean? Like, because like there was, it was, it was human in the wrong ways. <laughs> okay, what if, what would it do for you if I said, instead of Peter Coyote, I'll give you Harrison Ford? Yes, I think it has to be Coyote. You think so? Yeah, because I don't. Because I think if you go Harrison Ford, now you feel compelled to make that character more. Mm. And I, I think Peter Coyote, and I'm not just saying this because we're Facebook friends, but I think P- Peter Coyote uh, sells the the fascination. Ah, uh-huh. he's like the one kind-hearted scientist. Like everyone else is sort of a cold, calculating. <laughs> My wife had a great, great moment where where he's like undercuts his sweetness a little bit, right? Because like he he's talking about how he's like, oh, I wish I would have met him, you know, when you know I've been you know searching for this guy my whole life and blah blah blah. And he says, I'm just really glad he that he met you first. And she's like, yeah, because he's killing him. So he's like, yeah, I'm glad you met you, because if I had met him, I'd be the one. Thanks for taking one for the team, Elliot. (laughs) I'd be the one on this table. So (laughs) just change the whole dynamic. (laughs) Well, and that's our E.T. coverage, folks. I don't I still don't know whether I like this movie or not. I, I, I walked away being impressed, but I don't know if I like it. Like, it's certainly a good movie. Mm hmm. I it's I think it's unsettling. I was thinking like initially I thought maybe I get one of my kids to watch it with me, and then I, afterwards I was thinking maybe it's better I didn't. Yeah, like I said, my daughter watched Meatballs, and I said we want to stick around and watch E.T. She says, "Nope, I will never watch that again." <laughs> so, with that, what you will. <laughs> Oh gosh! All right, and and you're you know I, I I'm guessing it probably helped to be to be high on this one. Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, it definitely and it did, but it did create a different, like a magnified uh, ability to go. What? Who is this? Like, like I get it was over and over. Who is this for? Like, who is this for? It was for you, Steve. It yeah. Was for, it was for young Steve. Well, because it is weird. Because you're like, okay, this is for kids. And like, all right, they're going to be smoking and penis breath. And they're going to be drinky. Like, he's drunk now. And, and oh, now he's, uh, oh, there's E.T. He's hideously dying in, in the, the creek bed there. And, oh, oh and he gets now. all pasty white. That's that's grosser than anything I saw in, in Jaws for sure. <laughs> yeah. You ever see your ET's eyes, Chief? <laughs> Black and lifeless. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, Heather is not a fan of my uh, Quint impression <laughs> at all. In fact, you you've been doing it too much. Oh, too much. Way too much. Like anytime she but you want me to wash these dishes here, chief. And she just no, just stop. It's like I get it. I know I just don't. <laughs> Kinda like dolls eyes. 
Oh man, this feels good. I told you, it just feels good. It's it's good for the it's good for the throat. It's like a it's like a, a, a it's a it's like a built in lozenge. I did my Spanish What do you think about ET's voice? Um. Interesting that E.T. never feels the need to, like, just say his own language. Does E.T. Ha- does E.T. need a language if he's telepathic? Does he? Do they? He makes noise. He has vocal cords. So that clearly means he makes noise. He, he, uh, when, he, he when he's scared, language. he screams. He understood, the no notion, he understood the notion of language. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's is, one of is the, his uh, voice that way because he learned to speak with a speaking spell? And that's what happens if you learn to Possibly. speak English with a speaking spell. <laughs> you're going to sound just like E.T. <laughs> Steve, I think that we have attracted a few, at least, iTunes reviews. And so I want to thank anyone who has been kind enough to leave a review. And I'd like to begin by reading one of them. Are you ready? Yeah. Yeah, sure. Let's do it. See what the masses have to say about uh, our art. Yeah. This is from uh, Justin, and he titles this, They Are Taking New Clients. Five-star review. Okay. So far, so good. Yeah. It's like car talk with click and clack, but it's not about cars or fixing anything. They don't take calls or offer any advice. They aren't brothers, and they're not boomers, and they're both alive. But they are taking new clients. (laughs) It's the talk about old movies you wish you were having with your friends, but you're not. Guess you could call this a spinoff show. It's my favorite segment from my favorite Game of Thrones podcast turned into its own show, and I'm happy that they made it its own thing. So thank you, Justin. And Steve, he mentions that this is a spinoff show. I didn't think of it as such, but it's pretty much a spinoff show. Well, same characters, right? Different, uh, same different, universe, same, same <laughs> universe for sure. Yeah, uh, we exist in both. So, I thought we could talk about spinoff shows a little bit. I'd love to talk about spinoff shows. All right, let's start with maybe we this... could have a spinoff podcast about spinoffs. In fact, I think that we could just ever do spinoff podcast shows. Yes, yeah, so I think one that... episode and we're moving on to the next spinoff. <laughs> Thanks, Justin. Uh, Cocoons of Horror has been a fun ride. Um, you can catch us next on the uh, Joni Loves Chachi podcast. Yeah, let's talk about that. What do you think the first spinoff show was? Uh, well, I mean... It's not like I Love Lucy had like a spinoff that was just <laughs> called... Well, they, they did have for a while just Lucy, didn't they? Yeah, but I don't think that that was like taking the Lucy character from I Love Lucy. It was just with Lucy, right? Just a little insert here from the future. It seems that The Honeymooners was the first spinoff from the Jackie Gleason show. So if you're listening to this and you think that you can come up with an earlier spinoff than that, cocoonsofhorror at gmail.com. I mean, the first one that comes to mind for me would be Laverne and Shirley. Laverne and Shirley, clearly a spinoff from Happy Days. Right. Yeah, Happy Day spun off Laverne and Shirley, uh, the aforementioned Joni Loves Chachi, mm-hmm. and um, of course, uh, Mork and Mindy. I think a lot of people don't remember that Robin Williams 
was on an alien episode of Happy Days. Right. And this and so the, so then I have to like you know without doing the research because uh, this is just happening right now, I'm of the mind that Mork and Mindy gets the green light. They're probably like, I'm not sure how we're going to just, do we want to just roll this out? They probably said, look, let's, let's shoehorn Mork into an episode of Happy Days because we know we're going to have a lot of eyes on it and let, almost let this be a, uh, like a product placement for a new show. Okay. I actually know a little bit of backstory here and I forget the name of the producer. But the producer of Happy Days had his own television on at home. And his son was not interested in watching Happy Days because his son was only interested in Star Wars. Mm. And he thought, let's bring an alien from outer space into Happy Days and give the people what they want. And, of course, they brought in Robin Williams. And Robin Williams was uh, an immediate hit. And all of a sudden they're thinking... All right, let's green light this thing. So it was the other way. So it was the other way, and you would not have gotten Robin Williams without Star Wars. Interesting. Yeah. What a logical next step for <laughs> for the Star Wars universe, right? So like I'm I'm assuming that we'll see some sort of a CGI Robin Williams or Mork in next <laughs> season of Mandalorian, maybe. <laughs> So I don't even think we've talked about all of the Happy Days spinoffs. Laverne and Shirley. Sure, sure. Joni Mork and Mindy. Uh, Joni Loves Chachi. Oh, what others? Am I missing? I don't think so. I mean, I, I mean, I guess there was, wasn't there a Fonzie cartoon? <laughs> of course there was a Fonzie cartoon. I remember seeing Fonzie as a cartoon. I don't know if I actually ever saw the cartoon. Yeah, I had a... Did you have any Fonzie gear? I had a Fonzie shirt. I did not have any Fonzie gear. I think that the shark used in the Jump the Shark <laughs> episode became Jaws. Right. Happy Days begets all things. Um, <laughs> I uh, I had a Fonzie shirt. I also had a Fonzie action figure. And you may be asking. Really? How big was it? Was it like a small or was it like a like original G.I. Joe size? So it was kind of in between, if I recall correctly. So it was, you know. Barbie. You could probably call it a doll, but um, not to my face at that age. Because Ken was not cutting it at that point. Ken was really <laughs> needed Henry Winkler's face on a Ken doll. And when I say action figure, I mean action because you had a little lever on the back that when you pushed it down, he would his thumbs would go up. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> Can I just say that? I'm fascinated by the whole Fonzie phenomenon. I've thought about this more than most people should think about this. <laughs> All right, so about the time, I don't know if you care about any of this, but I'm just gonna I'm just gonna start going. I just off. told you about my action figure, the Fonz. Uh-huh. Yeah, you talk chances, about chances your action are, figure. I'm your demographic. Mm-hmm. About the time that Happy Days is coming into its own. Italians and Jews in America are being considered assimilated. And so they're no longer thought of as sort of inferior non-white people. Mm. All right. So I've thought about this a bit because I've written three or four books about Jewish Christian dialogue and I am myself Italian. 
And when I talk to my Jewish colleagues, we have very similar experiences of an emerging sense of whiteness in our people groups. So think about Arthur Fonzarelli in this context. Here we have a Jewish actor, but you can't give him a Jewish name yet because that wouldn't quite work with what you want for a show like this. You know, you want middle America to identify with his show. So you take this very urban guy, but in order to make him cool, you have to give him an Italian name. Because for some reason, Italians were becoming cool. There was like a little moment in time in the 70s when being Italian was I like cool. How, I like how that's the baffling part for you. For some reason, it's ba- being Italian was a positive thing. Not only, yes, not only, here's why it baffles me. Not only was it a very short period of time, because I don't think that anyone views Italians as any cooler than anyone else now. No. Um, but for a very small period of time, you could assimilate to whiteness as a Jew with an Italian affect and an Italian last name. Interesting. And I guess a leather jacket doesn't hurt either, I suppose. Well, and he didn't have the leather jacket initially. If you recall, he was wearing kind of like a, a baby blue mechanics jacket because because, uh, because uh, the leather jacket was associated with uh, a gang affiliation. And that was considered to be uh, too too much for the American audience. So he didn't that get a leather jacket. That is fascinating. Anymore. All right. So that, of course, this is another spinoff conversation. I learned that West Side Story was originally written between two rival gangs, one being Jewish and the other being Italian. Is that? So there you have. Here we have Arthur Fonzarelli embodying the merger of the two warring factions. Henry Winkler is the West Side Story. West Side Story embodied in a single person. And if you see Henry Winkler now, like, I don't know if you've seen Barry or anything recent that Henry Winkler's done. Like, it's not like he's. You think he's not cool? Is that what you He doesn't have the essence of cool, you know? (laughs) He's. He's not. I I mean, I look at him and I think that's Arthur Fonzarelli. That's the coolest person who ever lived. (laughs) It's a pretty amazing, pretty amazing that that came out of Henry Winkler. Yeah, I mean, and it was convincing at the time, right? I mean, I think I think we bought it. Yeah. I mean, I sure I, I bought the shirt, <laughs> I bought sure. the action figure. And the yeah. other thing about the action figures, I don't recall there being like a series of Happy Days action figures. I think it was just like you can get a Fonzie figure, and then you figure out what to do with it from there. Well, you could <laughs> right? put the Fonzie figure in your Happy Days lunchbox. Sure. I mean, it's not like I was sitting there with like Fonzie meets He Man. I guess I could create that kind of universe, which was kind of nice about action figures, right? So, all right, what other spinoff, notable spinoffs? Uh, well, I mentioned the Jeffersons. That was pretty notable. Um, Spinoff from where? Uh, All in the Family. All in the Family. All right, now let's talk about maybe the best spinoff. I think that Frasier, mm. Frasier spinoff from Cheers. I was never a big Frasier fan, but Frasier was just winning Emmy after so Emmy. Not a big fan of Frasier the show or Frasier the character on Cheers or both? Um... Maybe both. All right, I'm looking at a website called All in the Family, and it's seven spinoffs in chronological order. I This is blowing my mind. Okay. Are you ready for this? I Probably not, but I'll, let's go for it. 
Okay, first you had All in the Family, ended in 79. All right. Mm-hmm. Then you had a show called Mod. Oh, yeah. Mod, for sure. Uh, B. This Arthur, correctly. B. Arthur, yeah. yeah. Very good. I I don't think I've seen a single episode of this show. Uh, then Good Times, of course. And Good Times was a spinoff of All in the Family as well? Yeah, yeah that's right. And uh, The Jeffersons. So is The Jeffersons a spinoff of All in the Family or Good Times? It's All in the Family because uh, okay. um, George Jefferson and Archie Bunker notably had um, had beef. Oh, is, is that right? Okay. Checking In. This is a Marla Gibbs. Mm. It's a show called Checking In. It looks like it only existed in 1981. Got it. Archie Bunker's Place. Oh, yeah, that's right. This ran from 79 to 83. And it looked like it had the two primary, you know, a husband and wife duo. Interesting. Archie and Edith. Uh, then Gloria. This is 82 to 83. I have no... Sally Struthers. Okay. I, I, I wow. honestly have never seen an episode. And then a show in 1994 called 704 Hauser. Hmm. The final spinoff of the Norman Lear show is... 704 Hauser, the location is the only concrete link from all the family series. So they just. <laughs> they just. The building is the spin. <laughs> they, they couldn't get any of the original cast. So. <laughs> but they were able to get the set. <laughs> so they got the building. It's a spinoff specifically for the building. I guess you could say the same thing for like Star Trek Next Generation. Sure, right. Yeah, I guess that's, like that's essentially. None of the original people, but it kind of has the same sort of. It's the same DNA. It's, a, it's the same name of the starship. And had, and had that show been more successful, I think Archie Bunker's chair would have really taken off from there. <laughs> wow. Oh, my goodness. Uh, now, didn't Groin Pains have a spinoff? It did it. Uh, was, that the, was that it. the Left Behind series with Kirk Cameron? <laughs> yeah, right. Same shared universe, right? Exactly. Mike Seaver. Mike Seaver is trying to deal with the rapture. Where did Family Matters come from? Was it Die Hard? <laughs> the father, yeah, right. The father, because he is a cop in both shows, right? Right. He's a cop in Die Hard. What's the name of that actor? He's a uh, cop in Die Hard, and then he's a cop also in another show that becomes Family Matters. Yeah, he has one of the one of the great names of all time, Reginald Vell Johnson. This is his real life name. Yeah. Oh, dude, this is a spinoff from Perfect Strangers. Oh, <laughs> no, you're kidding me. <laughs> Are you kidding me? You're blowing my mind right now. Yeah. Wow. Um. Yeah, and I think it was the wife. I don't even know if he. I don't know if he ever like if Carl ever appeared on it. I'm not sure. Wow, this is amazing. I had no idea. Um, Steve, still no feedback to cocoonsofhorror at gmail.com. I'm, I'm telling you, if you email us feedback, it'll get read. Instead, well, how do I frame this? Instead, I've been emailing listeners. <laughs> oh, seems, yeah. seems problematic, but go on. <laughs> so, um, what, one of our... <laughs> Yeah. Hey. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's I, me, I, Anthony. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all of the problems. So so, yes. let me see. so so the so the listener questions are could you stop? And is the answer going to be yes or no? 
all the things you're thinking about, like the problems associated with me emailing listeners. Yes, all of them. <laughs> all of them. Okay, so here's how this was born. As you know, Cocoons of Horror has a cousin podcast called Perfect Stranger Things. Did you know that, Steve? Um, yeah, my wife said something about it. Okay. So a lot of the movies that we're covering on Cocoons of Horror, not all, but most of them, have some kind of connection to the world of, or the inspiration for the Duffer Brothers. And I knew that I would like to bring in a John Hughes movie into this. So I had been emailing back and forth with uh, one of our listeners named Allison, and we struck up a conversation about John Hughes movies, and I asked her, I said, hey, what do you think we should do for a John Hughes movie to kind of parlay off of the Steve and Nancy relationship? So she talked it over with her teenage daughter, Sophia. So this is from Allison and Sophia. She's answering my question. She says, the short answer is 16 candles, although you'd be in great shape with any of the three. All the movies have their pros. I do like that some kind of wonderful even starts to break free and question its own trappings of gender roles. But for a quintessential source of John Hughes tropes, and for comparative study, our vote is 16 candles. So that is what Allison writes. And she goes on to talk about why she thinks this is the movie that Cocoons of Horror should cover. And I will save that for our Cocoons of Horror coverage of 16 candles. Okay. And we're talking about the horrors of puberty. I think that we could talk about the horrors of puberty, the horrors of racism. <laughs> That's, yeah, that's, that's right. I think that we could. I, I mean, yeah, 16 Candles totally has forgot. it all. It totally, really has it all. I totally forgot about that. And I, and I should have remembered it because I had even mentioned something about 16 Candles to my daughter. And she's like, is that the one with the problematic representation of Asian stereotypes? And I'm like, you're going to need to be more specific. <laughs> this is, this is a, a lot of movies. Even I, I started going, no, I'm like, no, no, no. I think you're talking about. Uh, <laughs> this other movie and i started going through a series of, of 80s movies and then i was like mm-hmm. do you want to watch gung-ho <laughs> gung-ho goonies uh temple of doom we, we could go through <laughs> we could do a whole podcast just on that so it's the spinoff of the spinoff podcast mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's right and i'm sure that we would get a lot of things wrong and be problematic in our own way and then right. there would be other people that would do a podcast about our podcast yeah, I'm not sure that we're – well, maybe we could get ahead of it, right? And we could actually have our, a critique of our own spinoff podcast. Mm-hmm. So How that about we this? Could... How about you do the podcast and then I criticize you? Oh, I like that. <laughs> I like that. And uh, I appreciate you recognizing that of the two of us, I'd probably be the one to have the least <laughs> amount of sensitivity. <laughs> All right. So here's the other reason I like this. I like this because – Not only are we getting listener feedback that has helped improve our content, but I think it's not a bad idea to alert folks to the kinds of movies we will be covering so they can watch these movies at their leisure before they encounter it in their podcast feed. I think so. So should we mention a few other movies that we hope to cover in the next few weeks? Yeah, I think that's probably a good idea. Sure, sure. I'm going to pull up in our little spreadsheet here. All right, so uh, I'm just going to read a few of these that I think that I, I can't promise that we're going to cover all of these, but these are some oh, that are on our list. Oh, we're going to cover all of these. Okay. 
Lost Boys, I think we're both really looking forward to this. In fact, yeah, I, I like almost it. I almost watched it just because the other day. How many times have you seen Lost Boys? Um, none this year. The year is still young. Mm-hmm. Um, probably it's usually about like a five time a year thing for me. Wow. All right. So I don't think I've seen it in over a decade. Wow. Yeah. Probably I, uh, two decades. It's uh, it's it's so good. It's, it's 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 pretty close to perfect. Okay. The thing. I think you added the thing to our list, right? I did, yeah, because it does, and that is definitely something that shows up in. Uh, okay. Uh, Stranger Things. Evil Dead. Also, a definite reference. Monster Squad is pretty high on this list. I'll note. Yeah, because it's it's basically a stand by me with monsters. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, imagine, I've never I've never seen it. And, imagine uh, imagine stand by me being like way worse, but with more monsters. <laughs> So those are just a few on our list that if you wanted to sort of revisit these, can we call these classic films? Sure. And I I will say that I'm going to um, be really nudging Anthony to watch Gremlins only so we can watch Gremlins 2. I do think that I've seen Gremlins when I, you know, when I was very young. I can tell you for sure I have not seen Gremlins 2. Uh, the new batch. I may make the argument, if we ever get to that, that Gremlins 2 is the best sequel ever made. <laughs> Better than Godfather 2 or Empire Strikes Gre- Gremlins 2 is the Godfather 2 of the Gremlins series. <laughs> I think Godfather 2 is the Gremlins 2 of the <laughs> Godfather series. <laughs> All right, well, if you want to watch these ahead of our recording, you've got yourself starter yeast for Cocoons of Horror. Starter yeast, okay. That was a different way to go about it than maybe I would have gone, but that's fine. (laughs) Talking about sourdough, I think, is really what we're trying to... I just want to make sure, for those of you who are a little unclear on what... Isn't starter yeast... Can you, You could use that for a number of different... A dough. Does it have to be sourdough? To be, no, I think it could be any dough. Yeah, starter yeast is just I don't know. Yeast is really kind of kind of taking a turn in our in our vocabulary, hasn't it? Yeasty. No, yeah, I yeah. think ye- yeasty. I would associate with you know on. alcohol tasting. Okay, sure. That's a again good for you. This is this is exactly when I start making my notes for my podcast. <laughs> the cr- critiques, the critiques, critiques my podcast. Yeah. This podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think. I mean, I just think that the word yeast is sort of like not quite in the in the realm of moist, but it's there. Like it's. I feel like. It, I mean, obviously, the way that it ends, um, but just that that, and maybe it's just maybe words that end in st are problematic. Are you saying that? Words that end with "st" have jumped the shark. <laughs> Perhaps that's a broad and bold statement. And we and I may need to refine that. Maybe it has to have two vowels in mm-hmm. front of it. Okay. Like I mean, egg, egg, with the exception, of course, being Diane Weist. All right. So yeah, you do some research <laughs> on that Diane Weist, who was evergreen. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, in fact, you know, I think maybe uh, we could have a podcast where we just watch Diane Weist films. And we call it Weist Side Story. <laughs> Weist. I mean, obviously, that's better than Weist Infection. I would call it Weist Inflection. <laughs>
You can follow Steve on Instagram at OzFest. That's at A-U-S-F-E-S-T, OzFest. He'll usually post there his upcoming gig, so you can see him on stage if you're ever in the North Bay. And of course, follow him on Instagram. That would actually help his visibility. But the best thing that you can do to help us out as we are a new podcast is to write a positive review on Apple iTunes. A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline Podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works, and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series, The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the 4th be with you all, all month and beyond. <laughs>